This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hi, LSPod fans. It's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parkin' or Austin? Sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off can be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com hello and welcome to the Lobe strangers a swindon town fan podcast with me rich pullen rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside beautiful play that is that what a good shot Hello and welcome to the Low Strangers podcast. Thanks, as always, for listening. So Low Strangers are the supporters of Swindon Town Football Club as per Nick Hornby's passage in Fever Pitch. But I don't really talk to the fans that much. I talk to ex-players and staff. I talk to Ben, who's a Swindon fan on a monthly basis, but we don't talk to those who attend games or have attended games for a long time. So this is the first of a series of episodes that I'm going to do sporadically over time called My Eleven, in which I talk to Swindon Town fans about their Swindon Town 11 of their choice. Now, the majority of them will select the all-time 11, but it could be whatever 11 they want. It could be their biggest villains, their cult heroes, a team full of Steves. It really is up to them. There's only one major rule. They have to have seen and play in the flesh for Swindon Town Football Club. So, for example, I can only select players from November 1990 onwards because that's when I went to my first game so I couldn't pick Don Rogers or anyone like that. I'm very happy to say my first guest for this My Eleven series is Vic Morgan. Vic is a long-serving Swindon Town fan who spent decades working in radio including commentating on Swindon Town games as well. We talk about his career but of course we talk about his experiences following Swindon Town and it's really really enjoyable listening and I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed listening to it. Anyway it's time to sound the hooter for the Low Strangers podcast. Enjoy. Hello, Vic. 
Uh, good, uh, good morning to you, Rich. Yes. We finally did it after some technical issues previously. <laughs> it's a, a pleasure to have you on for what is the first episode, the pilot episode of a new series that I'm doing, in, which is called the My Eleven series. Well, it's an absolute pleasure to be on. Thank you very much, Steve, for asking me. Now, I know who you are, um, but there may be Swindon fans that don't know who you are. So if you can just give yourself a summary of who the hell are you? <laughs> <laughs> Many people have asked that question. Well, I first started working uh, many years ago on Concord at RAF Fairford. I was there for two and a half years before I was made redundant. I got into the pub trade, then into the inland revenue. And during that time, I uh, started to work for Hospital Radio Swindon, doing commentaries on, on Swindon Town Football Club. And uh, then after a while, I approached uh, what was then Wiltshire Radio, the commercial radio station, uh, to see if they wanted anybody to cover Swindon Town. They did. Um, I started working for them, did many commentaries, including playoffs, etc. And then moved across to the BBC, uh, BBC Wiltshire Sound, it was in those days, uh, covering Swindon Home and Away and uh, some incredible uh, sort of times I had doing that. So what time frame are we talking about regarding the commentaries? We're talking really, uh, my first sort of uh, match report was Lou Macari's first game in charge, Swindon against Wrexham at the county ground. If memory serves, it was a 2-1 victory for the town. And it didn't get off to the best of starts for Lou Macari, you might recall. It was quite a turbulent season. And um, during that time, I, he was sacked on a good Friday, if you remember. And I remember ever so well. Uh, I was called to a, a news conference at the county ground. He was sacked along with Harry Gregg's assistant. And then uh, people might well recall that uh, during that Easter weekend, uh, turbulent times were certainly how I'd describe it. I was uh, uh, at Swindon Speedway on the Saturday night when my wife had to come chasing up to tell me that uh, Lou McCurrie wanted to get hold of me because this was pre-mobile phone days, if you would recall, around 1985. And uh, so Lou wanted to talk to me. And then, if you remember, he got reinstated on the Tuesday and the rest, as they say, is history. Uh, so uh, quite an introduction, really, to covering Swindon Town that season. I was one and a half around about that time. So <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. That's, that's OK. Right. That's, that's my gift to you. Um, but luckily, I'm well read in the history of Swindon. So fitting Swindon Town around your career for, for quite a while was, was, not a hard, was not a hard task for you. Well, it, it was kind of difficult because I had to keep going to my employers and saying, um, would you mind if I have half a day to go see Swindon play at Rochdale <laughs> and various places like that? And generally, it was OK because we worked a flexi time system. So I was able to build up enough flexi time, take the time off, go see Swindon at Oldham, things like that. As you want to do, you know, on a Tuesday night, why wouldn't you want to do that? Um, and able to cover them at the same time. So uh, it worked in quite well. And then eventually I had to make the decision as to whether I wanted to do it full time or not. So I took for me a rather bold decision, actually, um, to leave the employment of the Inland Revenue, a steady job, and to uh, join the BBC full time, which is what I did. And my first day full time at the BBC was uh, the day that uh, four Swindon Town employees, including Colin Coldwood, were arrested. Uh, so it was quite another uh, um, startling introduction, really, to covering the town. Yeah, I, I'm not too keen on your first days in jobs. If no. <laughs> I don't think Colin Calder was too chuffed either, really. Oh, no, I'm sure. And then, and then down to Devon. Yes, um, I decided after... It had been a tough time, and many will recall what happened with Sunderland Town. Of course, um, uh, promotion to the old First Division via the Wembley playoffs against Sunderland. Demotion to the Third Division to be reinstated to Division 2. And so, really, I just thought I'd had enough. And, and 
there were trials coming up of various people at, at Swindon Town and I thought well now is the time to make a break and come down to Devon and uh, and take on the sports producers role there I needed a change really and to say that that was an interesting move is extraordinary really because Peter Shilton was manager of Plymouth Argyle Alan Ball was manager of Exeter City and uh, a lovely chap called Paul Compton was manager of Talk United his assistant was Justin Fashionu so you know interesting times you thought it was a sleepy backwater of football uh, it was anything but. I used to live in, well, I went to university in Plymouth and it's not the easiest place to follow football in England if you don't support one of those teams. No, it, it, I, I, I've often thought with the Devon clubs that, you know, that it's difficult attracting players really um, and I know people who come from Cornwall to watch Plymouth Argyle home and away and, and when you think you get to Plymouth you've still got an hour to get and a half to get to Bristol and then if you're playing up north I mean they've got an extraordinary following Plymouth Argyle mm. so have Exeter City you know and the travel the miles that they do is incredible Talk United now on their way back thank goodness doing very well under Gary Johnson and they've got a huge following at Bath on Saturday uh, so you know it's good times I think coming back for, for Talk United which is good to see well it's only one way you can get fit is to run and uh, most days we go out here and we run to start with and then uh, then we play with the ball what was your first game uh, first game was in February 1968 Sunderland Town 3 Walsall 0 uh, Rogers got the first, the incomparable Don Rogers, of course, which is appropriate, really. Uh, Mel Nurse, great centre half. We signed him from Swansea, got a rebound off the post and stuck it in from about two yards. And Willie Penman uh, got the third. He, who was a substitute, of course, in the League Cup final in 1969, sadly no longer with us. Uh, so that was my first game. Remember it ever so well. And I, I remember the first time I'd seen the green pitch of the county ground, not so green as it is now. Uh, conditions, playing conditions in those days were, well, let's put it like this, not quite the billiard tables that we see these days. But once you've seen that green pitch, that's it. You're kind of hooked, really. But I'd been following the town since before then. I lived out in the sticks at Walter Eaton, and so it was always difficult to get to watch the town. But once you started going, that was it. I found out there was a regular bus into Swindon on a Saturday, so that made life a lot easier for me. You had all the components of a, of a perfect first game. One, the attendance that day was 17,111. Unbelievable. Yeah. And the great Don scores after just six minutes of your first game. Uh, nothing can go wrong from there on in. Well, you're going to win every game then, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. That's it. You're never going to lose another game. You're going to win the European Cup within a year. You know, that kind of thing, really. But unfortunately, as we know, uh, times change. And uh, uh, that's the ups and downs of a football fan. You, you either stick with it or you don't. And most of us stick with it, whatever you're going through. And my goodness, me i think as a football club we've probably had just about everything happen to us that could possibly happen i can't think of too much more uh, that would happen to the club um that we've not already seen it's been an amazing roller coaster ride and from that day in in february 1968 to now well there are several books to be written i think i've spent well over 15 years going through Rich Banyard's archive site, swindon-town-fc.co.uk. And I always feel a little bit sorry for the players that left before 68-69. In the case of your first game, it's Nurse, Mel Nurse, and uh, Pat Terry, who was mm. the forward as well. Sort of get lost in the history of Swindon. Mel Nurse was a very, very well-known, good player veteran, but especially Terry sort of gets lost because of the successes of the following years. Yeah, I, I guess so. But the, those of us who saw Pat Terry play will remember him as a bruising centre-forward and 
uh, at Reading Connections, of course, not too far down the road. And yeah, uh, you're right, but that team of 68, 69 will live forever. I mean, it's as simple as that. And we have the 50th anniversary of that coming up very shortly. And, you know, I hope it's a day that we completely celebrate the events of 50 years ago. And it's really rather sadly ironic, of course, that this year we went out in the first round to Forest Green Rovers on a, on a, on a year when really we should have been able to celebrate with at least a game against uh, a Premier League reserve team, which is what normally happens now, of course, in the Carabao Cup. But it would have been nice to have had a bit of a run in the competition. Absolutely. So what are your earliest memories beyond that first game of following Swindon? Well, really, to start following it through the Evening Advertiser and, and the reports of Clive King, who I, I later got to know as a friend and a colleague, really, as a reporting colleague, and tr- many spent many hours travelling to and from games with Clive. Um, and that was it, really. And, and as I say, we were out in the sticks a little bit, but I remember at six o'clock on a Saturday evening, sort of cycling down to Castle Eaton to go and pick up my football pink. And that was one of my great staples things on a Saturday evening you know there wasn't much else to do quite frankly at Walter Eaton on a Saturday night uh, so that was really my sort of big thrill to go down in those days there was no local radio so you had to rely on uh, the score flashes that came through on national radio and the the football pink report which came through about six o'clock totally different times no internet no communication whatsoever so that was how you you sort of followed your club really um, by the the local sports paper which sadly don't doesn't exist in many places anymore and waiting for those score results to come through on the the grandstand the teleprinter and indeed on the national results around about five o'clock my dad went to his first games around the same time as you and i I always get a sense when he used to talk about swindon with me because he doesn't follow swindon anymore so much um was it was this this term of community in football was far more important back then because of everything that you said before there's there's no local radio no teletext no phones no nothing it's all uh, carpooling going in minibuses and 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 sharing newspapers and things like that yeah absolutely and you know i i used to go into town eventually with a with a friend of mine from cricklade i used to get lift in with him and his dad and you know there were a group of people who used to go together to games and i don't think that happens so much anymore although we obviously travel with a supporters club bus on a saturday to away games such as Tranmere, which are coming up and, and things like that and so it means we leave devon at around about i don't know six o'clock in the morning to go watch swindon at carlisle or something but it is part of the day you know and and you you travel on the same bus uh, you travel in the same seat you talk to the same people and it's a group of friends who and this is a strange thing about football. You don't talk to these people outside of football. You don't know them outside of football. You don't see them outside of football. But for that day, they are your best friends. It is an extraordinary thing. And and I think that still remains, although there aren't quite the amount of people there that there used to be. Let's talk about your favourite games then. So it doesn't have to be finals, although, of course, they're going to be up there. What are the games that in your time following Swindon stick out the most? Well, there's your first game, which we've already discussed. But, of course, uh, the 68-69 League Cup final will uh, forever be up there. It was um, a day which I, I went to Malmesbury Grammar School. We had a school bus and uh, the motorway wasn't open then, the M4. So it was a long, long, tortuous journey up to Wembley. You got there and I just remember going to Wembley thinking, is this it? Because, quite frankly, the old Wembley even then was a bit of a dump. And if you remember uh, through the pictures, the pitch was an absolute, well, 
I, I wouldn't like to use a word which would describe it. <laughs> it was dreadful. And, you know, the town played on this sort of uh, mud heap uh, because of the Horse of the Year show that they, they put on there uh, around about that time. And, and England had played France, I think, on the Tuesday night before on a very wet Tuesday night and beaten France 5-0. Can you imagine that these days? And uh, the pitch was just dreadful. And I suppose, in a way, that's added to the folklore. There was this tale about Arsenal having the flu and it, it sort of sapped the strength out of them, which was vaguely ridiculous because Suno by far the better team. And, and Rogers, of course, that magic moment with the third goal. If you've never seen it, just watch it because it is just the most extraordinary sort of drop of the shoulder round Bob Wilson, back of the net. Thanks very much, 3-1. Uh, that, obviously, is up the top of the list, really. Just a day which, sadly, I don't think we'll ever see repeated. Played in a bog, yet Don Rogers looks pristine. Uh, uh, and I don't think I ever saw him covered in mud. I don't think he ever had a bunch of mud on him. And that was because he didn't run across the pitch, he glided. And I, I don't think I've ever seen a player with that much grace as he ran with the ball it's just extraordinary and you know we'll never see his like again sadly he was just a, a one-off you know you still see him around the club I played in a game with Don Rogers once which was uh, a great treat and I, I just remember putting the ball through to him and it, <laughs> he he kind of missed the goal and I thought oh, I'm gonna have no it's Don Rogers you can't possibly and he'd had three artificial hip replacements so <laughs> I'll forgive him um, any other games you go to any of the Anglo-Italian games oh yeah absolutely I remember us beating Juventus 4-0 I mean can you imagine that Juventus 4-0 <laughs> Sampdoria 4-0 Napoli we beat you know people like this um, um, Juventus uh, they had the great Helmut Haller playing for them a World Cup winner uh, World Cup player rather not a winner obviously in 66 somebody might have beaten him called England <laughs> um, but he scored the goal for West Germany the first goal in that final and there we were beating Juventus 4-0 incredible now you just think at the time you didn't think too much of it but now you just think hang on Juventus 4-0 what are you talking about if only those days could return. I don't think they ever will. Fabio Capello, of course, playing for AS Roma against Swindon in the um, Anglo-Italian Cup Winners' Cup because we weren't allowed to enter the Intercities Fairs Cup because we're a third division team. What an extraordinary thing. The funny thing is, that's the thing that I get every time anyone talks about that Juventus games and things like that. Oh, I didn't think anything of it. It was just Juventus were coming to town. Absolutely. I mean, we're not talking about a third division Italian team here. We're talking about like one of the top teams in the world. You know, not just not just in Italy, but in the world. You know, if you mention the name Juventus, everybody knows who they are, don't they? Mm. And, you know, to go to Napoli and win 3-0 in the final of that competition and uh, the game to be called off because there was a riot because the Napoli's fans, the, the Neapolitan fans, were angry <laughs> that Swindon were beating them 3-0. You know, this is extraordinary times, you know, to go to Juventus and win as well. I mean, hang on a minute. What, what are we talking about here? This is Swindon town, for goodness sake. Amazing. Rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside.
What were your happiest memories? I mean, I mean, I remember going to a game as a kid and we lost that Blackburn one in 95-96 and I just remember being blown away with Swindon's effort as a kid. What, what are your happiest memories of following the Tuck Club? Well, there are many of them and, and I'm just going to pick out one and you might think, well, that's not, not what you would imagine. But the playoff semi-final against uh, Sheffield United not too long ago and I think when we went three up after about 17 minutes, mm. an absolute delirium. You just think this can't get any better than this. Of course, as we know, that I think that that's the best game I've ever seen. I don't think that will ever be topped. It was an extraordinary night. Moments like that, when you just, you, you pinch yourself, you can't quite believe what's going on. And uh, there were many times, I mean, I remember being at Ipswich and commentating on the game when it, um, Swindon beat Ipswich. I think it was 4-1. Glenn Hoddle was in charge and he was at the foot of his post and then the press box were all going, just whack it clear, Glenn. So he did, 60 yards into the path of Steve White I think and, and you just think those are the moments you look back on and you think did that really happen and and Paul Compton who I mentioned before the Torquay manager we, we were drawn to play Torquay in the League Cup and I was chatting to him and he said who do you think Swindon's best player is and I said well it's Glenn Hoddle and he said well I think it's Mickey Hazard and I thought well okay Paul so in the first minute of the game Hoddle receives the ball in Swindon's penalty area knocks it 60 yards down the line for David Kerslake to square and Swindon are one up within a minute and you just think okay Glenn Hoddle, not bad, is he? We'll, we'll talk about heroes and villains now, which was the, the, the vague topic I gave you. Now, heroes, I imagine, going to end up in your 11, so we'll, we'll keep clear of them unless there are any sort of nearly men that made it. But villains, what have you got? John McGinley, I think. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> He uh, was one of those players that you love to hate, mm. but if you could have him in your team, you'd be delighted, wouldn't you? Steve Claridge was another. Mm. You know, you just think, I, I really don't like you as a player, but my goodness, if you were in my team, I'd be very happy. And I, I always remember John McGinley going up to the fans and rubbing his tummy because they always used to be rather sort of, you know, discourteous about his weight, I think is it's fair to say. But players like that, players who have a bit of a laugh with you, even though you don't like them they have a bit of a laugh with you and you know you kind of that's the spirit of the game for me you know it's like when you play football you know you have a bit of a knockabout with somebody and then after the game shake hands and you have a bit of a laugh and I think people like McGinley and Claridge they were of that ilk obviously there are players who I think over the years are a bit robust I mean I, I I can imagine a lot of players that we... Brian Williams, for instance, what a great player and, and he, he would be amongst the heroes. But can you imagine him being on the pitch for more than two minutes now? <laughs> they wouldn't be. I mean, it's as simple as that, really. But it was a different game, of course, in those days. And, you know, some of the p things that people get sent off for these days, a lot of those players would just laugh at. I love your selection of McGinley and Claridge. I completely agree with those. McGinley is, I think, the first footballer... I hate it because of the League Cup semi-final. And yeah. I, I remember when Claridge, aged about 65, scored a double against us for Bradford. And I was just like, when will this guy just go away? Mm. <laughs> just leave mm. us yeah. alone. Yeah, just don't score against us anymore, please. I mean, I think, I guess the modern equivalent in that way would be Alex Revel, wouldn't it? Mm. Because he, you know, he's on loan for us for, for a short while and scored at Brentford if I remember but really generally speaking wherever he goes afterwards he didn't score against us for Stevenage I don't think this season but generally whenever he comes up against us we always say oh Revel's playing that's 1-0 then uh, you know it's that sort of player isn't it that kind of grudgingly you respect them for what they do the final point before we go into the 11 itself are rivalries now whenever you go on social media depending on who you're playing the rivalry intensifies 
and it's always different. So nowadays people argue whether Oxford's our main rival, Bristol City, Bristol Rovers, not so much Reading anymore, even Ginningham get into the mix. And then we have those little sort of year-long scuffles and skirmishes with other teams on the pitch due to promotions and relegations and things like that. Who do you consider our main rival? A team beginning with O. <laughs> simple as that. Uh, uh, yeah, I can't say the name. <laughs> it's that simple. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure what Oldham um, Athletic did to you, but... <laughs> Oldbury. Uh, no, it's, it's that simple. I, I, I can't think of another one that you would think is your main rival. Reading, yeah, okay in a way, but yeah, that that has to be the main rivalry, doesn't it? And I would think if you ask their fans, it, it would be the same. You know, it's just that way of seeing it. I mean, I've seen the ups and downs against them, and of course, we're in a miserable run. The, the point is, you would love to beat them every single time, wouldn't you? It's, it's that simple. Yeah, I mean, when does the Oxford rivalry really kick in? Because they're, they're Headington in the early 60s. Is it after the 69 when they knock us out of the League Cup? Where, when does it all really begin to intensify? I think it's just because it's your local derby. Yeah. I mean, it's 30 miles, isn't it? I mean, we're talking about local derby. How much more local do you want to get? Unless it's Dundee and Dundee United and Liverpool and Everton. Mm. Uh, I, I just think, you know, all right, Bristol City, you could say, maybe there's a lot of rivalry there, as opposed to Rovers when that, it's not quite so intense but you know and and with all due respect to Cheltenham or Forest Green they'll never be that feeling will there mm. that if you get a, a win against that team that plays in yellow it makes your day if you get beaten by them it doesn't so uh, that that is to me the, the be-all and end-all in terms of local derbies I can't think of another one which gets you remotely as involved you know all right if you actually win at Cheltenham which may one day happen but I'll believe that when I believe you know pigs can fly you know we've never won at Cheltenham but okay we win at Cheltenham will that be the same as winning at the Kassam not sure no what what are your favourite Oxford memories I think we beat them 4-0 once at the county ground which is about 71-ish something like that that would be right up there I always remember when my wife was pregnant we went to see them play at the county ground and we won 3-2 and there was a smoke bomb let off and the baby decided at that point it wanted to jump around inside, as it were. <laughs> that was a memorable <laughs> night. Yeah, any time when you actually beat them. I, I, I think you go there and uh, do you remember the De Canio moment? Mm-hmm. He'd built this game up yeah. as one of the great, great games that we were going to win. And of course we didn't. And then he was pointing at them and saying, they're staying down, we're going up. But at that time, when they had Constable sent off, mm. you won't get many better opportunities than picking up a victory there. The seven in a row, which I count as unbeaten as opposed, but I would never count that penalty shoot out in a million years if it was the other way around. I'd just be focusing on the league ones myself. But yeah. that first game, the Decanio of the, of, I mean, the run started in that FA Cup game years ago, but the Decanio one, that was the one where we played them off the park. And even Wilder said that and then it's we've we've found new and exciting ways of messing up against Oxford ever since it's uh it's been quite it's been quite a uh, an emotional experience yeah maybe one day we'll get a victory against them we could well be next season of course uh we'll get an opportunity to play them I mean I think anybody who doesn't realize the intensity um should go to the Kassam for an away game and then and sadly sadly still see the behavior of the fans I mean when I talk about the rivalry, I mean, you know, in a peaceful way. But 
having coins thrown at you and toilets ripped out and you know that's nonsense that's mm. nonsense and should never ever happen at a football ground you know people were having coming away with cuts because they've been hit by coins what is that about and i don't just mean from one side i mean from both sides it should never happen i think it's the reason why i didn't go much to but to away as much as a kid because my dad went during the 70s and 80s and well it's just not Ugh. worth the hassle was it horrendous mm. absolutely horrendous and you know i just remember being in the town then many times in the 70s and people being arrested and darts being thrown and fights just in front of you people being kicked on the floor and you just think for goodness sake boys it's a football match get a grip should never happen anyway off the soapbox huddle <laughs> <laughs> and moncair combining in the middle of the field now david kirsley good ball for ling Good effort, yes! Three minutes to half-time. Martin Ling's first goal of the season gives Swindon Town the lead. Let's talk about your selected 11 plus subs. Be whatever 11 you wanted, you have gone for your best 11. There was one rule, you had to have seen them play in the flesh. Um, before we go into the, the final 11, who were the nearlies? Who, who's on your bench? Oh, there are loads. I mean, and you know, I, I dislike you intensely for even asking me the question, who's your best 11? Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. It's like, who's your best child? You know, it's an impossible, possible decision. It's a bit like Desert Island Discs, isn't it? What's your favourite six records? You know, it's a, it's an impossible thing to do. Uh, I, I, top of my list of substitutes would be somebody I got to know very well and sadly passed away a few a couple of years ago, Dave Syrah, who mm-hmm. was a, just such a lovely chap and a very underrated forward. He played in a, one of my favourite teams, actually, around about 74, 75, with the likes of another substitute, Peter Eastow. Um, you know, that was a great side. Danny Williams had returned around about that time. We drew against Everton in the FA Cup and Dave Syrah scored one of the goals that hardly ever gets a mention because Kenny Stroud hit that goal. Uh, so, you know, Dave Syrah is top of the list because such a lovely chap, got to know him so well and, you know, was taken from us all too young, not too long ago. So he's definitely on the list. Easto, what a player, a magnificent footballer. And, you know, he signed on loan from Wolves. I remember he played his first game against Carlisle, I think it was, and got a brace. And then I remember hearing that we'd signed him for £80,000 and thinking, wow, we've got him. And what a great, great player. Went on to have a good career with Everton, QPR. And, of course, then the swap deal was involved with Don Rogers coming back to the county ground in, in place of Easto going in the opposite direction. Uh, but he would be a striker that you would normally put in your first eleven. But I was just trying to think of partnerships, and we'll get onto that partnership a little later. And anyone else? Goalkeeping-wise, mm-hmm. the choice in the first eleven we'll get to in a minute. But Jimmy Allen mm-hmm. would be another one who would be on the bench. He was uh, somebody I got to know very well, and uh, he lives in the north of Devon. And a great goalkeeper, and until he broke his arm, of course, was an absolutely brilliant keeper for Swindon. His injury sort of, I suppose, affected him a little bit but a great goalkeeper. Also, Fraser Digby, mm-hmm. you couldn't possibly <laughs> want to... I mean, how on earth do you do this, Rich? Tell me, <laughs> how do you do this? I mean, Fraser Digby, fantastic keeper, and I would have put him in the first 11 as well. Can I have three goalkeepers? Is that possible in the first 11? Um, <laughs> and you've got to mention Kenny Allen in the fourth mm-hmm. division championship season uh, as well. But, 
you know, I can't have a substitute bench full of goalkeepers. So Jimmy Allen just shades it. How many more subs have we got? You've given me three. Right. Don Heath was one, I believe. Don Heath, uh, who played at Wembley, of course, in the 69 League Cup final. I was originally going to put him in my first 11, but I had to kind of change it because I thought I wanted a more out-and-out winger, uh, which we'll get to. Um, yeah, I liked Don Heath a lot. He was a really good player. Sadly, I think he got booked at Wembley, if I remember rightly, but I, I, I might be wrong. But he did get booked, I think. He might have well been one of the first players ever to do that. So that's something to, to remember him by. But a great player. And of course, you know, if he's in that League Cup final team, it says it all, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I'd also like to include um, Will Dixon, who is my, you're going to say what? Uh, my favourite all-time Swindon player. And I've no reason for thinking why is my is he my all-time Swindon player. The only reason I can think of is he always gave 100%. He had a fantastic Zapata moustache. And he just was a, a great little fullback. And I love watching him play. He was like the everyman footballer. You know, the one who wasn't famous. He wasn't going to play for England. He wasn't going to win this, that and the other. But you'd love him to be in your team. So he's on there just because he's my favourite player of all time, really. Steve White, I'm going to put in. Chalky. Uh, just amazing. The best free transfer bargain of all time, without any question. How many have I got left? Well, one more, I think. Just let me do a check. One, oh, God. Two, three, what? four, five, six. Yeah, one more. Uh, I suppose I better have a central defender or a def- another defender, hadn't I? Gosh. Ross McLaren. Mm. Purely because he, he could play in a number of positions, but he kind of was, again, a bit of an unsung hero. But, boy, when he wasn't in the team, you noticed he wasn't in the team. It was as simple as that. And, well, uh, 200 more. Uh, I, I, you know, what can I say? Uh, as I said, you really don't make this easy, do you? <laughs> I think this is what makes this series going to be so interesting. Not everyone can pick the players that you've selected. So far, I know there are... I mean, I can only pick White and uh, McLaren from that, and that would be a bit fraudulent because they were right in my early, early days of watching Swindon. That's a bit unfair, actually. That McLaren was definitely still a first-teamer, but White was beginning to wind down um, his Swindon career, really, when I when I started knowing what a good footballer was. But let's, let's get to this 11. We'll start in goal. So number one is Peter Downsborough, uh, 1965 to 1973. 274 league appearances, 320 in all comps. League Cup winner, promoted to the second division. Didn't play in the Anglo-Italian Cup final, but he played in that 4-0 against Juventus that you mentioned. And he also played in that Anglo-Italian Cup winner's cup against Roma. Tell me about Peter Downsborough. Yeah, I think Mick Kearns played in goal for us in that Napoli game, it, if I remember. It was Roy, from just up the road. It was, <laughs> it, yeah, it was Roy Jones, but Kearns was on the bench. Oh, right. OK, Roy Jones, who was an RAF, a serving RAF man at Lynham, if I remember right. Anyway, yeah, Peter Downsborough kept pigeons, uh, moved from Halifax, amazing goalkeeper. And in the days when they didn't have goalkeeping, keeping gloves, now, they used to have woolen gloves, if you remember. Mm. And if ever you wanted to know just how good a goalkeeper he was, watch that League Cup final. Because he produced a series of saves which, well, were breathtaking and kept Swindon in the game. It's as simple as that, really. And, you know, he just was one of these solid goalkeepers, wasn't necessarily spectacular, did his job, organised his defence, had a fantastic relationship with his back four in those days. And how can I not put Burroughs and Harland in? Well, there'll be a reason for that in a minute, but can I give them an honourable mention? Because he played between <laughs> behind Burroughs and Harland, of course. Mm. 
but a wonderful goalkeeper. And, and, you know, he is my all-time number one keeper without question. Just watch that League Cup final and you'll realise just what a good goalkeeper he is. For a quarter of an hour, it was Downsborough versus Arsenal and Downsborough won. Absolutely. That's exactly it. I mean, he did keep Swindon in that game. I mean, he could have been four down. You know, he was extraordinary. And, and I don't think... I remember Brian Moore saying on the commentary, what a man he is, you know, and... He was, you know, it, it just he was going at people's feet. He was turning the ball around the post. He was turning balls over the bar, catching balls, punching balls, just everything that you could ever want in a goalkeeper. Just the 112 clean sheets in his Swindon career. <laughs> How frustrating was it as a fan when you lost Peter Downsborough because he fell out with Les Allen over pay of the veteran players? He felt that the, the newer players were getting better uh, compensation or better wages or what have you that must have been the most frustrating thing in the world that you've got this goalkeeper a legend out of the squad well you could say the same about Stan Harland of course because when Dave Mackay arrived uh, Stan very much found himself out of favour mm-hmm. and so he moved on I mean times do move on but of course you know these people are legends and you're quite right and I remember him coming back uh, to the club a few years ago Peter Downsborough and I don't go get people's autograph, but I saw him going into the um, uh, to the hospitality area and I just went and got his autograph because it's Peter Downsborough, for goodness sake. And I, you know, of course these players move on and it is frustrating. The one thing you would say, of course, is the clubs quickly got relegated, did it not? Yeah. Uh, not long after that. And so, you know, you can maybe possibly have a link with that. I mean, Jimmy Allen came in subsequent to that. So, you know, they found a decent replacement. But yeah, Peter Downsburg, tremendous. Absolutely top draw. Number two at right back, uh, playing his most successful spell between 1989 and 1993, but came back for two others in 96, 97 and 98, 99. It's David Kerslake. David Kerslake, fantastic player. And, you know, he. there's a reason for him being in there. He, he was an overlapping fullback. And, you know, I love overlapping, overlapping fullbacks. And solid defender, knew what he was doing. Went off, of course, a big money move uh, and then came back again. So, you know, he had, always had Swindon in his heart, I think, David Kerslake. It was his best spell without question. And uh, I'm just trying to think. It was Ozzy Ardiles, was it not? He brought him it was, originally. Yeah. 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 And so he fitted into that Samba style brilliantly. And Ozzy <laughs> turned Swindon from a, you know, a hard-working, successful team under Lou Macari to a, a side that played extraordinary football. And David Kerslake was part of that. And, you know, to be able to play that style of football under Ozzy, you must have been a decent footballer. I think during 89 and 93, at one stage, we had a complete jigsaw at Swindon. And by the time we made it to the Premier League, we'd lost a few pieces and Kerslake was definitely one of those. Yeah, 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 definitely. And, you know, the sad fact of life is, is that team in 1990 had actually stayed up rather than been demoted. They'd have had a fighting chance of doing something in the first division, wouldn't they? And, you know, maybe they wouldn't have finished in the top half, but they would certainly have finished just just below halfway, I, I firmly believe that they could have become a semi-established first division team if that side had gone up. Because the finances weren't such an important part of it in those days as they are now. The things that people forget about Kerslake, I think, I mean, one, he came for some, for us, a serious money, 110000 in a, in 89. But the guy won 
he was in the team of the year, the division team of the year, three years in a row, 91, 92, 93. Um, and then when he left, he left to the champions of England, Leeds United. Yes. Incredible, mm. really. And he only scored one goal. Do you know who it was against? Oh, gosh. <laughs> what, for us? One, one goal, goal for us in all comps. It was in a win against Oxford United. <laughs> Marvellous. Lovely stuff. Uh, well, there we are. That that gives him hero status straight away, doesn't it? As uh, simple as that. In the in the documentary for the ninety two ninety three season, he only turns up. Like they only do one interview with him, and it's when he's leaving, and he just looks completely sort of like you're just about to join the champions of England, and he's kind of like, well, they're broke, so they need to sell me, so I'm going. It's just a matter of agreeing terms, and you just think. Man, that guy did not want to leave. No, he was very happy at Swindon. And, you know, I I talked to him a lot of times. And I always remember when I was doing a piece for the local TV down in Devon, they said, oh, would you go and cover this? There's some coaching going on at uh, Marjons University in, in Plymouth. Yeah. And they said there are three sort of top-class footballers there. And I said, oh, yeah, who are they? And they said, uh, Colin Calderwood, uh, Ross McLaren and David Kersley. OK, I'll go then. And, uh, yeah, I turned up and it was great. They were brilliant. And uh, it was lovely talking to them again. And David Kersley, always such a friendly chap. And, you know, he's still involved in the game now, isn't he? And, uh, you know, what a, what a player. You know, we, we've been graced with some great players over the years. He's another of them. Number three now, I think for those who could watch him, have to have him in the team. 770 league appearances, um, 889 in all competitions. He was managed by Burt Head, Dan, Danny Williams twice, Fred Ford, Dave Mackay, Les Allen, Bobby Smith himself. 368 consecutive matches. It's John Trollope, MBE. Yeah, the great John Trollope. And I still see him in the car park occasionally at the county ground. We always have a little chat when we see each other. And tremendous. Of course, he was assistant under Lou as well uh, for a while. Yeah, what can you say? He was ahead of his time. Uh, he was an overlapping fullback, the first wing back, if you like. Got up and down the touchline, phenomenally fit, and broke his arm at Hartlepool, didn't he? That mm. ended that run of 368 games. Owen Dawson uh, took his place, except of course in in the final. And he and he and I think Owen Dawson rather magnanimously uh, uh, sort of uh, acknowledged that John had been there and deserved to be in that League Cup final team. And you know he was in that League Cup final team. And I remember I think it was when he was manager he ran the Swindon Marathon to help raise funds for the club. And I always remember he inspired me to go on to run marathons. To be honest, because when he kind of crossed the finishing line it looked as though he just started an amazingly fit person and what a player and I think you know his loyalty to Swindon was extraordinary he deserved to play at a much higher level there's no question about that and he's in the team also for his partnership with somebody else who we'll mention in a little while and if you're ever going to have a best 11 for Swindon Town that player has to be in it and uh, we'll mention him a little later brilliant and it's also great that his sons had a good career in football not well you know he didn't play as many games as John but he went on to play for Wales and he's had a great coaching career I, I, I thought about 10 years ago he would be a Swindon manager at, at one stage probably not so much now um, but a fantastic contribution to the football club from that family yeah amazing and uh, you know you just think Paul is now, I think, a coach at Brighton, isn't he, with uh, Chris Hewton. 
and you know fantastic he you know he was a very talented footballer and he played for his country although wales mm, okay discuss but uh, no he played for wales so you know a decent footballer and john should have played let's be honest you know international recognition should have come john's way how on earth did that not happen how many better fullbacks were there in the country i i you know phenomenal footballer and he helped to destroy along with don Liverpool one night at the county ground in the League Cup 2-0 uh, overlapping uh, got the cross in amazing uh, you know they, they don't seem any better than John Trollope it's as simple as that Number four, probably occupying the sweeper role, uh, a player manager, 91 to 93, Glenn Hoddle. Yeah, you kind of have to put him in, really, don't you? I mean, have we ever seen a more naturally gifted footballer at Swindon? He, he I... is the first footballer that I ever watched in the flesh where I acknowledged that he was like world-class. I could tell he was a world-class footballer. You know, you have soft spots, you, you love footballers for various reasons, but he's the first player I ever saw where I was like, man, that, that guy is a footballer. Yeah, I said, I, I said already about the, the, the pass at Torquay, which I shall remember forever. It was a ridiculous pass, and the, and the pass at Ipswich. And you think, my goodness, you know, he has to be in the sweeper's role because, you know, he just had that ability, didn't he, to spot a pass and... My one great regret, my one great regret is I wasn't at Birmingham that day when they won 6-4. I was <laughs> down presenting a sports programme in in, uh, in Devon. And I looked at the CFAX and Swindon were 4-1 down. I said, oh, that's that then. And then I looked at it about 10 minutes later and it was 6-4. And it had gone mad. And, and everybody I speak to knows how much that hurts that I wasn't there that day. And... <laughs> You know, they'll they'll say, oh, yeah, well, the, you missed the best game ever, didn't you? The 6-4 at Birmingham. You know, they take the mickey out of me for that. <laughs> rightly so, quite frankly, because apparently it was a masterstroke by Hoddle that day uh, that turned that game around. You're 4-1 down, you win 6-4. How is that possible? Well, Glenn Hoddle, that's how it's possible. A lovely bookended final season. He gets that goal um, against Sunderland to start the season going, and then he scores at Wembley. Just, one of, oh, just a great great game yeah i was doing some touchline reporting that day at wembley for the playoff final and you know i was right behind that goal and uh, when he he struck it into the court i mean he's just a phenomenal talent and i turned up at the hotel that, that uh, with a colleague on that morning over the final and we turned up just on the off chance that we might speak to a few players just to have a chat with them and he said what are you doing here and i said well we just thought we'd pop along and he said and he, he sort of turned away quite angrily and then he came back and he said, yes, fine. You know, and, and he was a lovely chap. I mean, I, you know, Glenn Hoddle, for goodness sake, he was always approachable. You could talk to him. I remember him patting the head of Harold Fleming, the statue at the reception. And he said, who is Harold Fleming? And I told him the story and he said, wow, what a great player. You know, he, he was a, we'll never forget him at Swindon, will we? I mean, how is that possible? Glenn Hoddle 
playing for Swindon. Extraordinary. I just wish he gave us one more year. Well, I guess if there's a downside, I kind of think he knew at Wembley he wasn't going to stay, didn't he? Oh, absolutely, yeah. You know, apparently Ken Bates was in the crowd and, you know, it was all done and dusted and we all went to the victory parade and there was that feeling, wasn't there? that he won't be here after this victory parade and that's how it turned out I don't know really maybe it's a club that's fated not to actually ever <laughs> hit the heights you know for some reason or another you know you could say the same with De Canio couldn't you mm. um, although the circumstances slightly different he went off to Sunderland that worked out well didn't it <laughs> right number five this is no surprise captain for 86 87 promotions 90 the demotion and the 93 before bailing out um, 343 league appearances 20 goals Lou Macari Ozzy Ardiles Glenn Hoddle it's Colin Calderwood yeah you got to put him in haven't you and again one of the nicest people you could ever meet very self-effacing really what a footballer though and when you think he led that club from the fourth division to the top flight albeit not playing in the top flight you know it's an extraordinary achievement and you know went on to play for Scotland played for Scotland against Brazil in a World Cup opener in Paris I remember seeing him in the fourth division thinking he'll play for Scotland one day and he was that good wasn't he I mean everybody who saw him play realized how good he was and just the ideal temperament for a top class footballer and I think Many forget he battled back from serious injury, had a serious knee injury as well. And, you know, that took a lot of guts to come back from that and become at the top of his game to go on to play for Tottenham and Villa and people like that. A wonderful player and, you know, what a great captain. Uh, you know, he would be the sort of person in the dressing room who you would not cross because you respected him so much. And I think that's what it was. That's how it worked at Swindon. And another one that you kind of assume that he was going to come back at some point to manage and now he manages at the time of recording at Cambridge you kind of think it's more plausible now don't you but um, never happened many times I think it was going to possibly happen he was at Forest if you remember yeah. I think there was a moment when he agreed to come back and Forrest refused and then a week later sacked him yeah that was the time and um, whether that time is now past who knows I mean we've got Richie Wallens at the minute and you know what football's like uh, how long is that going to be? We don't know, of course. But I think there are certain times when it's a, it's right and those times go and football moves on. And he's had a, a, a decent career as an assistant manager, hasn't he? He was mm. assistant at Villa recently. Then he, he was at Brighton and now he's at Cambridge. So we'll see. But I, I think maybe that moment has gone. A legend, though, and will always be a legend. Simple Absol as that. Absolutely. Number six. If you're going to have Colin Calderwood, you can only have the next man alongside him. 215 league appearances, an impressive 31 goals, including one in the playoff final in 1993. Our captain when we won promotion in 1996 is who Sean Taylor. Who Sean Taylor? I, I did a piece uh, with him recently for the Exeter City Senior Reds. I'm a member of that organisation. and He, of course, played for Exeter and joined Swindon from them. And uh, we had a lovely evening with him uh, a few months ago, and he's down in Devon now coaching. We talked about his time at Swindon, and even the Exeter City fans are engrossed about his time at Swindon. He would literally run through a brick wall for you, and I don't think there's any Swindon fan who ever saw him play would not welcome him back with open arms to play now because he looks as fit as a whippet, quite frankly. You know, you, you would imagine if there was a lorry coming towards his goal, he'd get himself in the way of it. He, he was extraordinary. And, you know, many, you know, he got, I think, 12, 13 goals in one season from the centre-half position. 
he would literally his goal at Wembley in the playoff final. You know that typifies Sean Taylor, doesn't it? Chucking himself on the ground to head the ball into the net. That is Sean Taylor for me. Only Taylor, only Taylor would have scored that goal. He who hesitates pays the price. Yeah, and just forget. Don't forget, he he came from non-league circles. He was at Biddeford Town, you know. So he he'd served his time. And you know knew the value of the game, and 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 I think he he talks to young players now, and he tells them, you know that you know make the most of every moment you've got in the game because you just don't know when that time will come to an end. And uh, he always used to say, like I say, like I say, uh, it was his good old Devonian uh, term, and he still does. He's a lovely chap and great, great centre half. You wouldn't want to be a centre forward against Sean Taylor. That's that's the biggest tribute I can pay him, really. Shorts up to his armpits, gum shield in, lovely. Yeah, get past me, mate, and you'll have done well. Simple as that. <laughs> he's, one of, he's one of two transfers from my childhood where most of the time when players leave Swindon, I'm like, well, I can see it. Him and Fjortov's exit, they're the ones that, that my heart sank when he went to Bristol City. Sank. Never really fully recovered from that. I think that was because of, mm. I don't know, relationships perhaps <laughs> in the club. Uh, let's put it like that. Yeah, and well, all I can say is he's gone to Bristol City and he's revered at every club he's been at. Mm. That, that's all I can say. He's a, you know, people in Exeter think he's a legend. People at Bristol City think he's a legend. People at Swindon think he's a legend. Even though he's played for Bristol City, Swindon fans still think he's a legend. It, it, that says it all, doesn't it? Absolutely, it does. Moncare plays it back in again and no offside! And Taylor has scored! And that surely Number seven now. So number seven, eight, nine, ten and eleven are all players from before my era. So I look forward to listening about these guys. Number seven played, well, signed under Fred Ford, played under Mackay, Les Allen, Danny Williams, Lou Macari later in a second spell. Um, it's David Moss. David Moss, great winger and uh, an underrated winger, I think it's fair to say. And uh, had great success in the first division with Luton, didn't he? And, you know, I think he's one of these players who... Uh, there's a, that team I mentioned earlier, 74-75-ish, you know, the likes of Isto, Anderson and Moss. That was such an exciting team to watch. And he was great, uh, a part of that. And there was one particular game, I remember, Colchester at home, 4-1. Almost as good a game as you could possibly see. It, that combination of players were, were electric to watch David Moss had speed he had ability he could get the ball across and uh, so therefore as a winger he has to be in the team for me he had a hell of a good run in, in the Cups he scored 14 FA Cup goals and 8 League Cup goals at Swindon I mean 60 in the league 82 in all competitions and yet he's never really mentioned one of these people that if you saw him play he's under consideration for these sort of uh, 11s but I think it, Luton his exploits at Luton eclipsed his Swindon's career. Yeah, I think you're right. I think he got a lot of national attention when he was at Luton, didn't he? Mm. And was his manager David Pleat in yeah, those days? Yeah. I think it probably was. So he had a lot of attention whilst he was at Luton and he, he was a bit swashbuckling. I think, you know, when you see a player like that play, you know, I'm, I'm going to mention Ian Miller in the same sort of breath. You know, he's another player who could have come into contention. 
you know, they're swashbuckling wingers. And I don't think we've got them so much anymore. You know, it, it, people with pace and they can get to the byline and cross the ball back and, and score goals. How many wingers can you mention these days that excite you when they get past a fullback and can pull the ball back for the centre forward to knock in the ball? You know, it, it's that simple, really. They're exciting to watch. And David Moss certainly was. Number eight, 1976 to 1980 under Danny Williams and Bobby Smith. 173 league appearances with 32 goals. It's Ray McHale. Ray McHale. Yeah, one of my all-time favourites, really. A battling, bustling midfield player. Wouldn't take any prisoners. I remember him playing in the game against Brighton. We were 4-0 up on New Year's Day. Alan Muller is Brighton. And uh, absolutely demoralised them and the rain, the game got abandoned because of snow and rain and stuff uh, won the replay 2-1 but I think in that game it typified Ray McHale for me it was foul conditions and yet he was battling through the mud he was swashbuckling he was tackling he was creating things he was one of these players if you play in midfield you would never want to be up against, you know, because he would be just like the ultimate midfield warrior for me. I love Ray McHale. And of course, if I remember rightly, the uh, sort of problems with Gillingham go back to his <laughs> days as well. And, uh, you know, if he's in your team, you love him in your team. It's as simple as that. And, you know, he'd be another like Sean Taylor, you know, would go through brick walls for you and battle and, and kick and, bite or whatever you know didn't bite i don't think he bit anyone but you know what i mean he, mm. he he was determined to win the ball and uh, a great player love watching ray McHale play and McHale starts in 76 which is around your favorite time supporting swindon is that right you said before was it well kind of one of them yeah, yeah one yeah, of them yeah, yeah. which is which is in about 73 76 that that era which is where we don't really do anything on a grand scale but interested me that you, you mentioned that because everyone goes towards the cup eras and and, mm. and the successes mm. but but that era why was that such a why was this sort of the mid late 70s or that era post Lee Cup and pre Macari, um, so enjoyable. I think it was just because the club was coming back again. We'd had the miserable time in the early 70s, mm. really miserable time. I mean, my goodness, you know, that took some supporting. That was the days of the three day week, if you remember, well, you won't remember, but it was. And, you know, crowds were down and, you know, we used to get beaten all the time and miserable times really mm. and then it was beginning to come back and of course ray was very much part of the league cup semi-final team if i remember rightly against wolves who yeah. paul bradshaw alan may's foul how the goalkeeper once sent off for that i'll never know <laughs> uh, in a million years so you know top player ray mckay and i love that team around about that era they were just great to watch you know entertaining you know it was just a pleasure to go to the county ground really never won anything you know, promotion always evaded them, but, you know, it's just great to watch them. Number nine had two spells at Swindon, 1979 to 1980, and then again in 83 to 85. I think he was with Bobby Smith, John Trollope, Ken Beamish, and maybe Lou Macari as well. Uh, 65 goals in 151 league appearances, 83 goals in all competitions. It's Alan Mays. Alan Mays, wow. <laughs> I, I saw him play for Watford, first of all, against us in a New Year's Eve encounter at Vicarage Road. A bit 2-0 on a, a day which turned out to be very snowy. Uh, and then he joined Swindon. Diminutive, I think, is the word you could use with Alan mm -hmm. Mays. But boy, did he know 
uh, where the goal was. I went for him rather, uh, I wanted to put in Charlie Austin because he is the best natural finisher I've ever seen play for Swindon. And why wouldn't you put Charlie Austin in for goodness sake? Terrific for us. But I went for a partnership and, and we're going to mention the other member of that partnership in a little while. But Alan Mays, yeah, diminutive, knew where the ball, uh, the net was and uh, worked hard and just great player. Went on to play for Chelsea, did he not? £200,000, yeah. I think it was. Took him to Stamford Bridge, then he came back. And, and one of the great partnerships in the club's history. There was another partnership at that time that filled in when the original partnership wasn't available, Bates and Gilchrist. And they all scored goals. You know, we're talking about strikers who actually score goals. Who knew? Forward score goals? Did do they? When does that ever happen? What wouldn't you do for an Alan Mays right now? in a Swindon Town shirt. Anyone who saw him play would dearly love to have a player like that playing for Swindon Town again. Just a great forward. So what what made him that that enjoyable? Because we've had our fair share of goal scorers in the back. You could have had, you know, Duncan Shearer, you could have yeah, had Steve absolutely. White, you could have I know, had I Noble, know, I know. <laughs> you know. I know, I know. I just think it's the, the, the chemistry between the two players, the other one we'll talk about in a minute. Sure. But it was just the perfect partnership. Bigger and, a bigger and then a smaller one. If the other one didn't score, he would. You know, it's as simple as that. And it was a great partnership. And very rarely in football do you come across that. And it was enjoyable to watch that partnership flourish and went so close to achieving some great glory for Swindon Town Football Club. And don't forget, at the time they got to the League Cup semi-final, they'd also got through to the fourth round of the FA Cup, held the mighty Tottenham, including Ardiles, Hoddle, Villa, uh, and, and players like that at the county ground, nil-nil, to unluckily lose the replay. So this wasn't a bad team. This was a pretty decent Swindon Town side. And, of course, in the League Cup, beat uh, sides like Wolves at home in the first leg of that semi-final, only to lose uh, the return so unfairly at Molyneux and to go out of the League Cup at the semi-final stage. And as we've mentioned, that, that foul by Bradshaw and Alan Mays, we're going to talk about it a bit more. Mays was going through and Bradshaw, rather Tony Schumacher-like uh, against Battiston, brought him down. I remember Alan May spitting his teeth out on the Molyneux pitch and Emlyn Hughes pointing at the referee saying he dived, he dived. Well, didn't look like a dive to me and just an extraordinary moment. And and you just think maybe that was the moment when Swindon wouldn't reach the League Cup final again. What a great player. Another great memory from that moment was we were sat in the Molyneux stand miles from anywhere and you could hear this noise as this person walked round the pitch and got close to us and we said, that's Eusebio. And Eusebio walked around the Molyneux pitch to be introduced to the crowd. A bizarre moment, but it happened. Wow. Uh, let's talk about the strike partner then. So um, a, a major name in Swindon history, especially modern history as well, because his time at Swindon goes well beyond his playing career. 1978 to 1986 was his town career. Uh, 287 starts, 79 goals, a total of 345 appearances for Swindon, 98 goals, so close to that 100. It's Andy Rowland. Yeah, you've got to put Andy Rowland in, haven't you? Uh, anybody who saw him play will remember him. He was centre-half as well. He played centre-half mm. for a while. He, The first time I saw him play was for Berry, strangely enough, in a team that also included Danny Wilson on the opening day of a season, and um, Berry won 2-0. I got a feeling he might have scored, but Bobby Smith was manager of Berry and then decided to bring Andy Rowland 
to the county ground and that partnership with Alan Mays flourished of course and you know he was one of these players who, I still see him now he sort of sits down in the um, Arkle stand not too far from where I sit and he went through a serious illness not too long ago and glad to see that he is able to come to football now but uh, an absolutely great forward and uh, there's not much else to say I think he scored a great volley against Watford I think we beat them 2-0 on the Saturday uh, and it was on match of the day if I remember rightly great volley from him uh, great to Graham Taylor's Watford and you know you always thought with Andy Rowland and Alan Mays together there was a chance of a goal whatever the scoreline was and uh, a lovely chap as well got to know him quite well assistant to Lou Macari in that championship year of course and a lot of the players thought he was as as important as Lou was and I remember Colin Coldwood saying that if you ask any of the players Andy is as important as Lou and that's how highly he was regarded at Swindon Town yeah it was when he left under Steve McMahon it, it upset a lot of people mm, yeah absolutely was that another relationship problem, was it? <laughs> Around about that so. time. <laughs> you know, yeah, a great servant to Swindon Town. Uh, what can you say? You know, there's very little else to say about these players, is it? They are great servants to the club and yeah. they have made their mark in a, in a football club that is over well over 100 years old. And, you know, that is quite an achievement, I think, for any player. Well, we'll finish at number 11, 1962 <laughs> to 1972 with a brief... Return in 76 to 77, 148 league goals, 180 cup goals. Only two players uh, have done better, both well beyond the modern game. We beat Bristol City to his signature. It's Don Rogers. From Poulton in Somerset, yes. Gosh, yeah, um, an immense ability. I, 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 there will never be a better player that I will see play for Swindon Town. He was extraordinary. And, I, and, and when people say about Don Rogers I'm always uh, very fortunate to have been able to have seen him play in his pomp Mm. I mean this was a an exceptional talent he played for England at under 23 level I think but Alf of course Alf Ramsey in those days didn't have wingers in his team did he so he wouldn't have fitted the England team that Alf Ramsey had put together but he was an amazing amazing footballer it was often said that he had one shoulder slightly lower than the other. And so fullbacks would sort of look at his shoulder and think he was going to go one way. And, of course, he would go the other and make them look absolute idiots. He would just go round them and then round the goalkeeper, slot the ball in the corner of the net, and uh, no problem at all. He could also hit a thunderous shot from 25, 30 yards, which nobody could stop. I remember one free kick against Queen's Park Rangers, opening day of the season, drew 2-2, and I was in the town end. Almost immediately behind it, he scored at the Stratton end. Uh, Stratton Bank End, curled it into the top corner. Fabulous free kick. What can I say about Don Rogers, Sir Don, the greatest footballer ever to play for Swindon Town? And I was one of the... This is Talia Sala was. Uh, there was a great TV series called Crossroads on many years ago. And one of the characters in him in it was called Don Rogers. He was a postman. And I just thought, they've named him after Swindon's Don Rogers. How much better can it possibly get? And... Uh, <laughs> Um, so there we are uh, and just watch that third goal against Arsenal and that is Don Rogers halfway line Bob Wilson doesn't know what day of the week it is into the corner of the net brilliant absolutely brilliant Rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside
were the the rest of the squad with Don in the sense of like um, working as a team? Was it because they were more than just kick it up to Don, weren't they? They were. They... Oh gosh, it was a tremendous team. But I guess they always knew that if they wanted the pressure taken off, give the ball to Don. <laughs> Simple as that. And uh, you, you know, as you said, he never got a mark on him because people never got close to him. And he wasn't one who's going to. He wasn't going to come back and tackle. Mm. You know, that wasn't his game. But they knew, that team knew, just how valuable that player was. And he had a terrific partnership with John Trollope. And, you know, when you've got a player like that in your team, you've got half a chance, haven't you? Even if you're 2-0 down with a minute left. If he's done nothing for 89 minutes, he might get you three goals in two minutes. You know, he's that sort of player. You would never moan about the lack of work rate from Don Rogers. It's amazing because in that uh, John Borman documentary, Six Days to Saturday, mm. we've got Mike Summerby, we've got Ernie Hunt, but it's Don Rogers or Donald Rogers that's that's really, that you can see they're, they're, they're building him up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the extraordinary documentary whereby they're flying to Preston for a game in 1962. Mm. How bizarre is that? But yeah, yeah, they're building him up and rightly so. And Again, if you go and have a look at the highlights for Crystal Palace against Manchester oh. United, 5-2, yeah. I think. Wow. Yeah, you get an English cap amazing. for that alone now. You, you, would yeah. get, you would get caps. You would be straight Yeah, in. I mean, when you look at the players who've got caps over the years, you just think, how is it possible that Don Rogers never played for England? Especially when he was at, at Crystal Palace, Absolutely. because, my goodness, look at the attention he was getting then. Yeah. Sadly, of course, his hips, uh, he had to... Sort of more or less when he'd come back from Swindon, he was suffering a bit like Andy Murray in a way, I guess. Mm. You know, he was suffering through the rigours of uh, of uh, what he'd been through. But he scored on his comeback debut against Gillingham. You know, the, the county ground, I think, big crowd that night to see the return of the Don. And, of course, he didn't disappoint and scored on his return. So, you know, well, when the name of Swindon Town is mentioned, whenever I talk to people about it, wherever I am, Don Rogers is the name they mentioned. And rightly so. That's your 11. Fantastic. I'm sure it would do well, but the 21st century is is largely absent in in this but <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure we'll get we'll get a few guests in that will uh, will put their case forward for the for the more recent players, but Yeah, I, I think uh, you know, you've got to mention the Decanio team of course, which was fantastic. And uh those two years under the Italian were were bonkers but brilliant, were they not? Oh, and you know, you'd have people like Simon Ferry around in the dressing room just to make everybody laugh because what a top bloke he is, you know. And uh, so he, he would be, I don't know, part of the backroom staff just to be in there to buoy people up because he was <laughs> great. But uh, you know, you know, you've got to give a mention to to that team because uh, you know they were terrific. And even though, all right, yeah, we know we spent a lot of money and stuff, and we're in a bit of a mess now because maybe. Uh, that money has departed, but uh, who would have traded those two years, eh? They were amazing, weren't they? Incredible years. Who's managing this squad? Oh, gosh. I could go easily for D- Danny Williams. I'm I'm not going to pick Glenn Hoddle because he's in the team. So I, I, uh, But now, then you have to think of somebody like Lou Macari, who, you know, pulled the club up by its bootstraps, really, and did a terrific job. As we know, things didn't work out uh, really uh, in terms of what happened subsequent to that mm-hmm. I wonder though how he would uh, have included players like Glenn Holt of course he would have put him in I'm sure he would I'm just going to go for Lou because I think 
the change in attitude at the club was extraordinary. And, you know, the way he got players playing and fit and uh, the way that they went from being almost bottom of the league on a Friday night against Torquay. If they'd not beaten Torquay, they would have been bottom of the league to winning that fourth division championship at Acanta. Uh, it was an extraordinary turnaround. So I'm going to go for Lou. Ozzy Ardiles also deserves an honorary mention, of course, for the way he changed the style of football. But I'm going to go for Lou just because of the extraordinary impact he had on the club. Fantastic. Vic, this has been an amazing chat. Well, thank you, Rich. I'm hoping, I hope it hasn't been too long and rambling. But, uh, you know, if you want to talk to me about Swindon Town, I could talk to you about them all day. So, you know, but as I say, you gave me one of the toughest tasks you could ever ask anyone to do, <laughs> and that's to name their first 11 playing for Swindon. And for those who I haven't mentioned, I'm really sorry that there are many I could have included in that list who aren't there. Uh, Steve White, I would definitely love to have put in with Duncan Shearer. But uh, I went for the Maze Road and partnership. So sorry, Chalky. Big <laughs> Morgan, thank you very much. Thank you, Rick. Try the box to Good run by him and now match goal. The Low Strangers is an independent Swindon Town fan podcast. The music was expertly created by Matthew Kilford, and the podcast artwork is by the super talented John Daglish. Thanks for listening. Hi, Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs, like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant, like Darren Ward, or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.